Alrighty, welcome to the My Age Podcast, a podcast that brings you conversations with people from all walks of life using music to plot a course from their early years to how they got to where they are now. How you doing? Hey Holden, you doing good? Um, as I record this, I'm actually meant to be packing my bags to go away for the week, so that's fun. First holiday of the year. It was meant to be the second, but Hawaii got cancelled. Can't remember the reason why Hawaii got cancelled. Something about, I don't know, something. Anyhow, I'm here. We're here. Um, if, it's, if it's your first time listening, thanks for checking it out. Uh, you know, go back and listen to some other episodes. Uh, and if it's your 50-something time listening, then look, thank you again. Really appreciate it. Um, first off, My Age Podcast is part of the Podbelly Network, a really cool network of podcasts um, and also a whole bunch of informational... Um, informational, is that a word? Information on how to kind of get your... Po- if you've got a podcast idea right and you're not sure how to get it off the ground, then go to podbelly.com. Uh, and you can there's a whole bunch of information on kind of you know how to get from what's in your brain out of your well not out of your mouth but you know onto a computer and then get that basically up onto the internet for people to directly inject into their ear holes I guess that's a good way to put it and there's also a bunch of really cool other podcasts on there um, and there's definitely something whatever you're into you'll find it right there um Podcast is brought to you also by Gringo Bandito Hot Sauce. Gringo Bandito. I mean, hey, hold it. Like, it's the greatest hot sauce out there. Like, I'm, you know, I'm sorry if you disagree. If you disagree, you're wrong, and you'll have to deal with that yourself. But um, yeah, it's the greatest hot sauce out there. Uh, if you're in North America, you can buy it from GringoBandito.com or probably Amazon. You know, but if you want to support that, that's cool. That's that's a good thing, I guess. But um, yeah, go to GringoBandito.com for us. Or go to like do what people do and just go to a shop. Um, you'll find it if you're definitely in your, on the west coast you'll find it in those things called sh- like supermarkets or shops you know you go in there you put things in a basket and you um, like you know how you put stuff in a, in a digital basket like you actually do that in a shop put it in the basket move on to the next thing and then all of a sudden you're at home and you don't know how you got there but you got like gringo bandito slathered all over your body and whatever you're eating you, you know so that's that's a definitely a good thing um also brought to you, last but finally, definitely not least, are Mask Jeeves. Um, Melbourne is still in the thick of the lockdown, although, you know, restrictions are easing, so that's a good thing. But, you know, if you're still, you know, you want to get out and about um, and you feel obligated, which, you know, who might I kind of say whether you should or shouldn't, um, to wear a mask, then you can go to maskjeeves.com. Look, they've got a whole bunch of cool mask designs made by some really cool people down in Melbourne. Um, two, uh, sorry, one for 20 bucks, three for 50, yeah, and ship, includes shipping, you beauty. Um, so you can get all that checked out. Uh, that's, you know, that's it for the sponsorships and the whatnots. So on to today's guest, Al Brown. Now, dangers, I think I'd say in the episode, if I don't, then I'll just get it out there now because I definitely told Al before we hit record. One of my favorite bands of all time. Um, and also a band that, partially why they're one of my favourites, is in a time when you kind of can get just over everything for whatever. I don't, maybe it's maybe it's unique. I doubt it's unique to me, but like, yeah, you know, every couple of years I just go, I'm sick of the same old shit or whatever, and I'm you know, whatever. I don't know. Maybe you went through it. Maybe you didn't. Um, and then all of a sudden someone goes, Hey, just check this out. Like it's kind of really cool. You might dig it. Um, and then you listen to it and go, oh, cool. No, now I'm re-energized by, like, music again. 
or like I've got this new thing that I can kind of absolutely go whole hog um, into and cling on to and kind of just yeah get re-excited about music again uh, Dangers was definitely one of those bands for me their album Anger was it still is fucking huge I when I sign up to things like message boards or Twitter or whatever I always use their song I always use the song title Power Chord Blues because it's just fucking the song is fucking brilliant the name is brilliant anyhow I digest um let's let's just get into it hope you dig it and uh my age on the socials one last plug my age on the socials uh instagram and facebook if you like what you hear and you want to like you feel free to donate to the cause the quote-unquote cause which is not really much of a cause um but you know you can go to pay paypal.me slash my age podcast you can send me a dollar you can send me five that's cool whatever whatever works for you um this podcast will always be free but you know if you want to donate um because you think you see value in this or any other episode feel free paypal.me slash my age podcast and with that check out the episode cool all righty with me today on the line i've got al brown from easily one of my favorite bands of all time um and we've already talked about this and i've got the i've got it out of my system before we hit record so you know let's just jump into it al how you doing mate doing very well it's good to speak with you you too you too all righty so um we kind of you've got an idea of kind of how the podcast plays out and the conversation we're about to have let's talk about your parents and your early years yeah um i was thinking about this and i don't think anyone would call either of my parents musical uh, in the least, but the first kind of ideas that I have, at least regarding music and my parents, um, I really remember my father in the car all of the time, um, tapping his finger on the steering wheel, um, in time, always playing air drums to what I now know as smooth jazz. Oh, wow. um, okay. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Yeah, yeah. And and um, and also Latin music. Uh, he he loved loves uh, Tito Puente, um, Colón, um, and I. If I think about growing up, what it was with my dad, at least it was a lot of listening in the car. To it was either AM talk radio or we were listening to um, like. David Sanborn or um, a lot of stuff that here in Los Angeles, it's 94.7. The wave is the name of the, uh, okay. <laughs> or the radio station that played it. It's um, the station still going to this day. I believe so. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, I haven't listened in a while, but yeah. once in a while I'll <laughs> click down the dial 94, seven, the wave, <laughs> And like, um, but, but I will say that there are songs definitely, um, especially there's a, a pianist named David Benoit, okay. um, that is very big in the, uh, smooth jazz arena, I suppose. Yep. Um, I knew him also from, he had a song or two on the Michael Jordan VHS tape, come fly with me, okay. which I remember like, oh man, when that song came in, I was like, my dad listens to that song. And it made a really like, important thing. But, I, but I'll say more than, um, more than 
the particular artists, I would say that, you know, my dad had the stereo out in the living room. Um, and this was just his CDs. He had a record player, but didn't, I don't remember him playing records. He had records, but I don't remember him putting the needle on it. I remember music and it being loud and CDs being played. Um, and I remember it being, there's a TV in, in the living room as well at his house, but I remember that the, the stereo got the same amount of, of precedence in the room, right? It, it took up the same, if not more, area than the TV did. And I think that maybe that did something to me in understanding the hierarchy of, of entertainment or, or the fact that music had its place as well. Um, my mom's house, um, I don't remember where the stereo was. I remember, you know, with her, um, there was tapes in the car is really what we did. It was a lot of, and I think because, you know, in Los Angeles, you're driving all the time. The tape she had in the car, uh, the one that stands out, the two that stand out the most, one was the Bill Cosby comedy uh, tape, which we would listen to, okay. which doesn't age well these Not days. Not at all, but um, that's okay. <laughs> but she would also listen to uh, Whitney Houston. Um, Do You Want to Dance? I remember with my mom in the car all the time. And I think because my family you know, was split a little bit, you know, where like my parents got divorced when I was three years old. Um, and I was very aware of it and I knew, knew everything that had happened. Right. I, I knew, you know, that my dad had cheated on my mom and that, um, it was just a very large kind of hole in both of their lives. And yet they still, to this day, um, shared a lot of care and concern for one another. And um, I think that music was a way in the car without having to talk, right? We just yeah. turn music on yep. and experience sort of emotions through that. So I want to dance with Whitney Houston. Um, huge. Just like, okay, cool. We just going to dance in the car, mom. Great. I love it. Yep. Let's um, do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or I remember, you know, she dated this, this man for a while when I was very young. And I remember being in the back seat listening to um, the Beverly Hills Cop um, soundtrack yep. with the, with the, the 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 convertible top down, and just feeling the connection between music um, and driving was a really important source of of release for me. I think you know, and you, you could speed up. I remember being on the one ten freeway with my mom and this guy, and listening to Axel Foley, right? Yep. And just yep. speeding up and, <laughs> and feeling like the physicality of, of the, the music to a certain extent, right? Um, and then the other one that, that really stands out for me um, with my mother especially is listening to Harry Belafonte live at Carnegie Hall, which I finally picked up on record, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago. Yeah. And it's an amazing, amazing record that he's it's one of those sort of storyteller performance records, right? That, that he's performing. And at the same time he's performing, he'll, the band will quiet down a little bit and he'll tell the story of, you know, I was a young boy on the Island and the men would come in with the boats full of bananas. And, <laughs> and he would start telling the story of the song. And I remember my mom and I would clean the house a lot, listening to that record, uh, which is another physical way of experiencing it. And yeah, 
I guess the overarching theme uh, with the influence from my parents, it wasn't so much that I adopted their musical taste because I, you know, I've got friends who like, yeah, my, my dad listened to Led Zeppelin going up or, you know, ACDC was really big. I'm like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Like you listen to your dad, listen to that. And then you got into that. Like I didn't really so far as take to, to their musical tastes. Although, you know, I still, those songs hold a place in my, in my heart, but just the fact that music was released for both of them. Um, and it was a place where I was allowed to release as well. And I think because there was so much growing up um, that was said and unsaid, I suppose, that music was a way for us to communicate without having to talk all of the time, especially in those moments when you're in, in the car and you're filling empty space with something. Um, it was really important, I think, that 20-minute drives could be, you know, three or four songs and rather than having to just sit in silence or sort of like, you know, how was your day, son? You know, um, my nickname, my nickname is Bink. So they always call me Bink, but you know, Hey Bink, how was your day today? Like I, it was just like get in the car. Hey man, what's going on? Boom. Yeah. Music on. Um, and I don't know if that's avoidance necessarily, but what do you talk to a three, four, five year old kid about necessarily? But I do know that, you know, those, that music, and I will say this, what's funny is that I will still go back and listen to David Benoit once in a while. Key's song is the name of the song, K-E-I, or K's song, K-E-I-S. Um, and I like it. Yeah. I don't I don't dislike it, you know? Um, and, and with my mom, that Whitney Houston, Harry Belafonte. Oh, and the other one I was going to say was um, I was taken to the very first edition of Cirque du Soleil when it came to Santa Monica okay. with my mom. And Saltimbanco, which was I think was the second uh, iteration, which was the year after that. And we bought both of those tapes as well. Those tapes exist somewhere in my mother's garage. And I can. St- I actually went back on Spotify a year or so ago. I was like, I wonder if that's on there. Of course it's on there. Yeah, of course it's got to be. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can hum every melody. Yeah, right. To those to those performances, um, and know like, oh, this was the trapeze one, or. Oh, this is the one where they're, uh, you know, uh, on the on the trampoline. Oh, this was the contortionist song, um, and I can I can I can just really hum all of those melodies. And I think maybe the the home that music created for me was um, not escape, and that's really what I wanted to, to underscore. Like I did have a, a, I mean, a lot of kids have it way worse than I did, but it wasn't necessarily a happy home growing up, mm. um, and music was a place where you could you could feel that right you could you could um not escape it but but emote through it or or yeah. feel feel some sort of physicality towards it as well are you one of like with, with your mum and dad are you like an only child or probably? yeah so i had a yeah i had a strange i haven't really met anybody else who has my exact um situation okay. um but uh, I was my, my mom was married before my father and had two children. Yep. So she had uh, my sister and brother who are, my sister's 11 years older. My brother's 12 years older. They're half, I guess. Yep. And yep. then 10 years later, she has me um, with my dad and I'm my da- I'm, I'm my dad's only child. Yep. So I'm both an only child and the youngest of three at the same time. And yeah. if you think about really what, what that does, that probably is a little bit into my music taste later on, but 
you know, my sister's 11 years older, my brother's 12 years older. So they were around, but only till I was about six, seven years old. Yeah. And then they were out of the house going to college. Yeah. So, you know, they've stayed in my, we're, they stayed in my life to a certain extent, my sister more than my brother. Um, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, I will say that one of the laments that I often have or explain to my mom, um, you know, my dad is black and my mom is white for all intents and purposes, but Spanish and Portuguese by blood. And I'm the whitest kid on my dad's side of the family. I'm the blackest kid on my mom's side of the family. Um, I also don't have a sibling who I can be like, dude, wasn't this fucking crazy when we would go to dad's house or wasn't this crazy when we come back and, you know, mom would be sad or whatever. I don't have another person who's actually had my same experience, even within my family. And it, I think parlayed a little bit into how I got into punk and hardcore, but it, it, it made me feel, you know, even if you look at my parents, my, my mom doesn't know what it was like to have grown up like I did. My dad doesn't know what it was like to have grown up like me. So I don't even have like that relational um, um, touchstone with them, you know? And, and, and I don't know what it was like to grow up like that. My dad grew up in East Orange, New Jersey, a black man uh, in the 50s and 60s, right? And dealt with a whole lot of, of racism and poverty that I, I know about. Um, whereas my mom is first generation. My grandparents on my mom's side have a crazy story where they came from um, the Philippines. They were colonials, Spanish and Portuguese colonials, but they got evacuated after World War II and ended up in San Pedro on an evacuee on a refugee boat. So my mom is first generation and I didn't grow up like that either. Right. So it's one of those things where um, I think maybe music can become a common language or at least a common bond between you. And um, and didn't necessarily recognize that growing up, but I do know that um of all of my family, I definitely took to music more than any of them. No one else in my family plays an instrument. No one else in my family dances. No one else in my family writes music or lyrics or anything. So um, music was a, a, a refuge for me, not necessarily an escape, but a place of, of safety, I think. I don't, want to, I don't want to sound like you're putting shit on your parents, but like, do you have the conversation of, or have you ever had the conversation of, I wish I had, like, I wish I had a brother or sister, older or younger, kind of. Um, I, I have kind of the inverse conversation with them, okay. <laughs> which is, as far as I know, my father, I don't think he ever wanted kids. I think I, right. I wasn't a whoop baby necessarily. Yeah. But, um, and I, my mom said, you know, I was a child of love and they were married and they did love me. But um, I, I tend to feel as though rather than you should have had another one, I always go like, I don't really understand what the decision-making process was in making me. Right. Okay. Then like maybe wait a little bit longer till you're, you're more <laughs> certain or not. I, and that's unfair of me to go back. Um, and, not, and it really isn't on my mom um, so yeah. much, but were they I married? Think one, uh, yeah, they were married. Yep. Um, they met at, at IBM. They worked together for a couple mm-hmm. years and then got married. And, um, I think it's an interesting question because I would have appreciated now being able to call someone and be like, I'm not crazy, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. these, these motherfuckers are crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. And I can do that with 
my sister about like my mom, right? I can, we can commiserate and lament about my mom and we have different relationships with and to her because there's such a long span between our experiences. Yep. But it would have been helpful, I think, to have someone else to bounce some ideas off. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, my dad never wanted to have kids, I don't think. And I came along. And one of the things that I do recognize um, that I've, you know, thought a lot about in life is that I am a big source of my father's joy and a big source of his pride. Oh, um, cool. whether, okay. we have, whether we have a great relationship or not now... I, I know how much he is proud of me. I mean, I'm named after him, right? And um, I, it's a lot of pressure to a certain extent sometimes, even as a 37-year-old man, to think, okay, this is my father. Like, I, I'm in part responsible for his joy, for his happiness, for his pride. You know, I don't get to spread that around someone else. So, yeah. uh, you know, if I had a brother who or sister who was like, oh, that's the doctor. You can be proud of that. Look at it. It's all taken care of, right? <laughs> yeah. um, there are moments when I do feel as though, you know, if I've made mistakes in my life or if I've done things that haven't been to his liking, maybe it gets amplified a little bit more than on my mother's side. who's She's got three. So, you know, between the three of us, she can be proud that at least one of us has done something good at yep. some point. Right? Yeah. No, fair enough. Do we have a song that kind of sums up those early years, something that really sticks out? Yeah, I would say, uh, I would, I would, if I had to put it on the playlist, uh, I'd put, I want to dance with somebody.
before we hit record, um, you said you're a soccer coach. Like, did you play soccer growing up? Like, or was sports oh, yeah. a big thing? So, okay, <clears throat> pardon me, why soccer? Because from a, like from an Australian standpoint, soccer is a really, really big sport. Like, a small population, obviously, but like, it's a, it's you know, it's a, it's a prominent sport. It's one of our biggest three sports, kind of around. But like so, okay, yeah. So there was a reason. There was a reason you took to that and not baseball or the typical, um, quote unquote, American sports. Uh, so the other connective tissue between my father and I, especially, uh, my mother was an athlete as well. She played volleyball at UCLA. But um, my father was an athlete his whole life, and so usually, I mean, <laughs> we'd be driving in his uh, Acura Integra car, red one. Yep to go play sports. So we'd be listening to some sort of music and then we get there. Um, he played football, baseball, and basketball. And I, wow. <laughs> you know, you don't play, you don't play football growing up as a kid so much where I grew up, there wasn't really pop Warner that popular, but, um, I tried T-ball and hated it cause I played outfield and the ball never got there. Yeah. And I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> um, I took really, really well to basketball and grew up idolizing Michael Jordan. Yep. Um, and my dad was the coach of all of my teams until I was about 13 or 14. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I grew up playing soccer as well. And that influence was more, uh, it was kind of like, you know, soccer as a national sport isn't really that huge here. But as a youth sport, at least where I grew up, was really big. Everyone played soccer. Okay. Um, AYSO is the name of the, the kind of youth league. American Youth Soccer Organization, and that was my first taste of sports overall. I mean, I can name every single team. Earthquakes, then the Hurricane, uh, no, the Yellow Hornets, then the Earthquakes, then the Hurricanes, and then I went to play club after that. And um, I was really good at both basketball and soccer, but soccer, I also, my dad didn't like it, but he would take me to the games, yeah. and I was very good, so I think he was proud of that. But yeah. then... Uh, my grandfather on my mom's side is Spanish, as I said, and he and I bonded a lot over soccer. I can and imagine. he would get tapes from Real Madrid from his family in Spain, would send him VHS tapes, and we would watch uh, <clears throat> a lot of the games from the uh, early 90s, late 80s, or early 90s. Yep. Um, getting to see, you know, even Zidane, I remember watching on VHS before, like the World Cups and stuff. And I think. Um, as I grew older, what happened was, you're right, soccer wasn't the, like, popular kid sport. And I think because I always had a little bit of a rebellious attitude, uh, I really liked it. I think the other side of it, and I talk about this at the team that I coach now a lot, is that soccer is the most artistic to me in that there's it's all improvisation. You, you have a formation, you have a, a tactic, but the coach doesn't get to call timeouts. You're out there for 45 minutes, mm. and your job is to figure things out on the fly. And um, it's the most like life. It's the most like art. I really love this um, writer named Donald Barthelme, who's passed now. But his his whole theorem is about not knowing. So you you have to know enough to start something, but actively not know enough to finish it for it to be interesting enough. You can't start a book with the entire plot or else it's going to read boring. That's why I don't like Dickens. It's like, Oh, this is all fit in together. But, um, soccer is very much like that. You have a formation, you start just like, you know, and this is the same with the difference between recorded music. And when you play live, like you've got the template, you know what you're supposed to be doing, but I need the, the opportunity for anything to happen. 
And that's what really happens, you know, at a punk show, a hardcore show. That's where I kind of gravitated towards. But before that, it was like, you know, on a soccer field where the ball happens to be here. What do I do with it now? Right. And I think that that's why it, it kept my attention. Not to mention, I didn't grow very much so i was great at basketball until about <laughs> until everybody else grade. started growing yeah <laughs> i was i know i started freshman year of high school when i was 14 i was five foot one uh i don't know how many centimeters that is but it's not a lot and uh, <laughs> shy mugsy bones that's all i know <laughs> yeah 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 okay weird tangent <clears throat> but obviously you're you're very passionate about soccer so I'm, I'm interested to get this take what is it what do you think is it about um, the American populace that shy away from soccer when it's such a uni- like well a universally renowned sport. Yeah, you know I re- <clears throat> I remember yeah I just it you you like the LA Stars Galaxy, Galaxy? yeah yeah Galaxy got um, Beckham should have mm-hmm. been the biggest thing in history like they <laughs> but it never seemed to make waves and like you know yeah it never seemed to make waves like. What is is it that it's too slow? That like the one thing I've heard is that like, oh, it might be like you might be it might, not might be a nil or draw, and my retort to that is, there's nothing wrong with a draw. Like right. if it's a good game, it's a good game. It doesn't have to be this huge blowout where it's, you know, 120 to 96 or whatever. Like it's there's nothing wrong with one all or nil all. Like, what do you think I, it is? I think what it is, I mean, from coaching as well, and it's shifting. Um, a lot more kids have played it. Yeah. Um, but soccer was, has been around in the United States for the same amount of time it's been around in other countries. What I really think maybe underlies it, um, my theorem is about uh, the Grand Slam, the bottom of the ninth Grand Slam. Right. And, you know, they always talk about baseball being America's pastime. Yep. But what I think is we have a culture here of the Hail Mary. We have a culture here of... Um, the grand the, slam, the bottom of the night, bases loaded. Yep. Yeah. Um, where what we like, I believe, at least it seems to me, is all the odds are stacked up against us. And against all odds, we will still prevail. Yep. That narrative, much more than the American dream, the American dream to me is a very amorphous um, sort of idea. But the, the idea that, you know, we could have had everything go wrong you know we everything is against us the whole world doesn't even know and and yet bottom of the ninth all it takes is one swing of the bat or all it takes is one throw down the field hail mary and you can catch it and i think that that is much less what soccer is about right there's not very many instances where it's the 89th minute yeah you're down a goal and all of a sudden you cross and it's a it's a backflip bicycle into the back net, right? Like, it doesn't really happen so much. You know, that Liverpool-Barcelona uh, Champions League stuff that happened two years ago is as close as, as we've come, I think, with the corner kick play that happened. But, but I think that the appreciation of subtlety, it's the same reason why Jazz is has kind of, kind of fallen by the wayside. Pop music is there, right? Uh, yeah. We want things in this country, it seems to be, to be digestible. We want things to p- pan out into a binary, more or less. Yes or no. Democrat, Republican. Yeah. Gay or straight. We're really, and, and I write about this a lot in, in my academic work, but we are much more comfortable with 
binaries than we are with the, the confusion in between. And I think soccer is that confusion. It is that very weird place where like, well, why aren't they trying to score? Right? It's like, well, because this right now, this phase of the game is about possessing the ball. But, but isn't the objective to score? It's like, nope, not right now. And, you know, teaching that to some of my kids, you know, I, I have to go through lots of drills where I go like, okay, I'll pull one team aside and say, hey, for the next 10 minutes, I don't want you to even try to score. I just want you to keep the ball for 10 minutes and wait till the other team recognizes it, right? And those are impulses that are natural, I think, to the American spirit, as it were. I think we really want fireworks and we want, we want drama. That's really what it is, man. We, we want things to be as dramatic as they possibly can be. And the draw, while I agree with you, is, is, can be as beautiful as, as the last second win. It's not as dramatic. And if you're looking, if you're looking for beauty, America's not really the place. Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for drama... We got all of that yeah, you in got space. It. Yeah, so eloquently put. That's that. That really does sum it up. So I guess music, like you know, you've already you've, you listen to it a lot with your parents. Um, I'm going to assume, but please, like, pardon me for assuming it. You, when your parents split up, you kind of started living with your mother. But yeah. did she? So what was her take on music? I mean, you said you you listened to music around the house when you were cleaning. Did she? Yeah. Did she have much of a record collection, like post split? No, so my I lived most of the week with my mom, and then I was with my dad on the weekends, okay. more or less, was the arrangement. And they lived nothing more than four blocks away from each other. Oh, okay, right. Um, and like I said, it was a strange... When I think of it, as if I can imagine it, it was more like... Uh, you know when you have a magazine? I remember I used to get Sports Illustrated for kids, and there's like, cards in the middle, but that little glue strip that you're like pulling out yep, of the, yep. the binding... It, that was more what their relationship was like, which was like pulling it up out of there and like getting it off of your fingers. It yeah. was like it, it's it, they stuck, but they didn't stick well, and the, and it wasn't supposed to be between them. And no, you know, I, I, I to this day, if I had to think like what music my mother loves, it's um, she really likes uh, Rod Stewart. Okay, and. Um, she really likes, uh, I mean, she probably, her music that, that she really connected to was a station called K earth. So we would listen to the radio a little bit, but you know, she, she grew up in the, in the, the hippie days, the, you know, love movement and free love and just didn't, you know, she wasn't big into the Beatles. She wasn't big into Led Zeppelin or the Rolling Stones. She, she liked Rod Stewart for what it's worth, and yeah. and I don't even know, to be honest, where my mother listened to music. If I had to tell you, I would say only in the car yeah. growing up, because when we moved, we moved houses when I was eight years old, and when that happened, still close to that we dad. had. Um, we a little further away from my dad, but we never lived more than like two miles away from each other, but. Um, and my mom's, she had a, what did she have? She had a central, like, we could play music throughout the house from the one oh, system wow. at the bottom. It kind of, like, connected to all the speakers around the house, which is really cool. Yeah. But like I said, I remember playing Harry Belafonte, and, like, and, and she would play Rod Stewart. And um, 
Yanni at the Acropolis. Okay, that right. that was her jam. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what. It's such bad music, man. And I don't know. Yeah. There's no. It's not even bad music. It's where the fuck is the soul? Like where yeah. is the? It, it's it's well executed music. But I I don't know where the the soul was in there. Um, yeah. My dad my dad listened also to like Earth Wind and Fire. Um, I can list off. I mean, some of the bands that I could list off, Earth, Wind, and Fire, Lee Rittenauer, Spyrogyra, uh, Foreplay, Bob James, uh, Chuck Mangione. Like, none of this is, is good. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, and none of it's very lyrical, which yeah. is the other side of it. Lyrics didn't really enter my life. Um, lyrics entered for me as a result of my brother and sister. Okay, right. Not so much of my parents and like the, the 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 concept of having a brother and sister eleven years older. Like so most people are yeah. to three, four years older, you know, like I'm listening to like, you know, hypothetically I'm listening to Chris Cross, my older sister is listening to Nirvana. Like, right, right. But like eleven years there's you know, when you're nine versus twenty Right. <laughs> there's a huge gap of like they've progressed so much further than like you know there's almost like a a, a valley of music you're yeah. you're going to be missing because they're they're through it and you're not there yet so like how does that well, influence you but and also though it means that at a younger age i was maybe exposed to music you know, not like whereas many people, their first blush will be through their parents. Yeah. Mine was kind of dual, right? So I remember when I when I was, you know, six, seven years old, my sister babysitted me a lot. Um, my mom worked a lot, and my sister was 16, 17 years old. She had a she had a car. She had a little rabbit she bought, um, and we go to the beach all the time. So I ended up listening to a lot of what my sister would listen to in the car, and that was. Um, I remember the Bengals walk like an Egyptian, um, banana Rama, cruel summer, their cover of that. Um, I remember, uh, Tiffany, I think we're alone now. Oh dude. Uh, do you remember that? Uh, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, so she, uh, you know, that was, she, she, she listened to music. I mean, she was a teenager. She loved music. Uh, and I remember, a very the f- most formative experience that I had, I think, as that young age. I uh, actually just wrote about it. I just had a poem that had this in it. But um, coming downstairs and listening to Sinead O'Connor, it's the first CD I ever listened to. Nothing compares to you. Being absolutely mesmer- mesmerized by that, and I would put it. I'd play it on her CD player in her room when she wasn't home. Like snuck in there would play it and just stand in front of the, the stereo listening to it and hit rewind and hit play it again and hit rewind and play it again and over and over and over again. And the, the gift that she gave me, I mean, the best gift probably, I most consequential gift I ever got was she gave me her old Walkman. Yeah. She got a new one and I got, she gave me her old one. And um, I started to be able to buy tapes. And, you know, when I, was starting it would be we'd go to the 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 store was the warehouse it was down the street and i would buy tapes by people like wilson phillips so that's kind of a a bleed over right um this was also when madonna i i remember material girl was 
I, I walked down the steps. My family will tell you this all the time. I mean, I walked down the steps like she does in that video, like aping uh, Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> yeah. Just doing that dance, and they're like, I don't know what's the, this kid may be uh, a little bit leaning to the other side. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I loved dancing to, to her. And then I, I listened to Michael Jackson, was the first like revelation at that time. Yeah. Um, Bad had just come out. And again, infused this with MTV being like front and center. So walking in and out of the living room with my brother and our sister watching MTV, you know, Michael Jackson's on. I got to stop. I got to watch what he's doing. I got to go by bad. Uh, and then that bled into Janet Jackson, which bled into Paula Abdul, which bled into CNC Music Factory, oh, fantastic. Which, <laughs> which bled into um, Belle Biv DeVoe, yep. another bad creation. And like you said, this was right about the the. the the formative moment where um, it became, I, I, I would cap like my kind of like, I don't want to grow up period at, at crisscross. Like you said, to well, be honest. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so yeah. We're, we're, we're a year apart. So like all these things you're, you're hitting off. Like I was doing at exactly the same age. And it's really, it's really yeah. weird that, like, uh, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people who are the same age as me, but no one is, yeah, like, I was a big <laughs> pop, like, not pop, but, but like, yeah, like, what was happening on the radio yeah, at the time. And we didn't have MTV, but, like, so it was all radio-based. But, yeah, like... But, what, but I think what happened, I mean, the, the, the kind of psychology of it, though, which was cool, was, yeah. you know, that wasn't what my sister and brother were listening to. My brother, I think, was listening to a little bit more, like... Uh, hair metal a little bit yep. at the time uh you know i think he was more like motley crew i remember he's the kind of guy who had pictures of like half clad half clad women yep. uh all around his room and i was like oh, i can't go in there there's naked boobs everywhere yeah, yeah. but uh kind of like biff in home alone is yeah. how i remember my yeah, brother yeah. <laughs> um but but i was listening to like you know these sort of 80s and and like gems you know from my sister the bangles like i said banana rama was huge but then i got to start carving out my own list you know it kind of morphed into like okay but that's my sister's music yep. sinead o'connor is my sister i'm gonna listen to uh hold on by wilson phillips yeah right yeah. not knowing at all like the the history of who those people were and their parents um, and that kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. And, and then like okay you know what like that's not even enough. I'm going to listen to what well, Michael Jackson is, is really cool. Wait, you know what? Like Janet Jackson, you don't even know, you know, and like, yeah. of course my sister knew who Janet Jackson was, but yeah. like, I kept feeling like, you know, Oh, Paula Abdul. That's my, like uh, spellbound. When spellbound came out, I was just like, Oh, I, and I would put the headphones on, walk around the house singing, all of these songs, like awesome. kind of like, you know, how kids right now are just stuck in their phone looking at the screen. I was like headphones on all the time walking around the house, yep. singing like, rush, rush, oh, come to me. And, and I, and I, it, it forms some sort of like your relationship to, you know, love relationships, sexuality, all of that stuff. Yeah. Cause you're singing about themes that are a little bit beyond you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because that, you, you've got no idea what the, 
what the context Yo. is, you can just pick up on the emotion and the vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, and and I think you know corroborate that with MTV, um, and and just I, I wouldn't sit and watch TV very much as a kid, but I know that like you know I would sit and like glance and look and be like, oh, you know I've heard this song on the radio or I have this tape. Now I get to see it being performed. Really yeah. cool, and and you'd sort of wait for that moment. And I remember still feeling very much like. You know, like Guns N' Roses, uh, Appetite for Destruction had come out, and I wasn't, I wasn't that angry. Like I wasn't okay. like it was, it wasn't my thing. Like yeah. it, it didn't appeal to me very much yet. And uh, it wasn't until, you know, like I, I'd say that ne- the, the next stage kind of starts there for me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's let's grab a song from that fucking fantastic option list of options <laughs> like whatever you pick i'm gonna love i just yeah i know it yeah <laughs> um you know what i would pick from that time that more than anything i think i i wore i wore dangerous out by michael jackson yep uh but rhythm nation okay yep uh just five four three two one
I can I can talk with you about you, you understand how cold it doesn't get. Like it's just <laughs> it's just a bit it's a tiny bit chilly. Like I've got hey, yeah, yeah. I've had one of the coldest nights of my life in Newtown staying at someone's house that you know how your bullshit houses have those like <laughs> slats in them? Yeah. To let the air come through. Yeah, yeah. We were staying in the living room and, and we were, it was July, I guess, maybe. Yeah, we it was, were it was freezing, July. freezing. Yeah. <laughs> I was fucking freezing, yeah. man. Yeah. So, but trust me, I get it. Okay, so you're you're living in the South Bay in the yeah. early 90s. Um, <laughs> and, like, from, you know, from where I sit, the early 90s, early to mid 90s, that Southern California sound was, like, everywhere. Like, pop punk or, you know, the what we now call pop punk, but whatever, like the Pennywise's yeah. and the Offsprings and all those bands kind of exploded. Were they ever on your radar or your brother and sister's radar, you know, or are they a bit too old for it? Kind of like, and not to, not to push you into that kind of thing, like that kind of area. If, if you weren't, if you weren't involved in it, then who, then don't worry about it. But like there's history to where you are and all of a sudden there's this, you know, the, the new thing post Nirvana is happening. Like, how does that affect you? See, you've, you've, you've skipped the formative moment there. Well, you, okay, you please, I'll, please. I'll connect, yeah, school me I on this. Yeah. So what happened for me, um, <laughs> I moved to, I moved from Redondo beach to Manhattan beach, um, which was not a very far, it was like three miles, but, um, and I started going to school, uh, at Grandview Elementary School in Manhattan Beach, California. Um, that was third grade I started going there. Uh, and I have, uh, if this were a visual medium, I would bring out my uh, diary and, and show it for you all. Maybe I'll post it on Instagram at some point. But cool. um, I went to get a skateboard. I was 10 years old. I, and I wasn't getting a skateboard. I went with my best friend at the time, Taylor. And <clears throat> we went to E.T. Surf, Eddie Talbot Surf, which is one of the famous surf shops in all of the world, but um, especially in Hermosa Beach. And we were, we were driving over there, and his sister was driving. And his sister was, like you were saying, four or five years older. Yep. We're 10 years old. We were 10, so she was 16, so she's six years older. Yep. Um, and Taryn is driving, and I'm in the back seat. Taylor, I think, is in the front seat, and we're going to get the skateboard for his birthday or something. And I, I, at this time, I'm still very much Belle Bib DeVoe, another yep. bad creation. I still have these tapes up in my closet. Yep. Um, gonna make you sweat by CNC Music Factory. Gonna make you sweat. Uh, <laughs> sweat till you bleed. Uh, Vanilla Ice. Yep. MC Hammer. Um, please, please, Hammer, don't hurt him. Uh, <laughs> and we're driving, and she's playing this music on a tape. And I am clued in i'm like locked the fuck in with this thing and i'm like taryn what is this and she's like i, I remember her like oh you're too young you're not gonna like this sorry da, da, da. <laughs> and i go no what am i listening to and she says they're a band called nirvana right and i said okay yeah got it and i didn't even get a skateboard to taylor he got a skateboard i to this day had oh henry candy bar rapper um i don't know i was plan b skateboard yeah. Uh, we went home, we skated for a while. My mom got home and I said, mom, we need to go to the warehouse. I need to buy a CD. And she said, okay, sounds great. Yep. My mom was always amazing about 
um, media. We, we used to go to a records, uh, we used to go to a bookstore called Either or Bookstore every weekend. That's where my love of reading started coming from. But she would also be like, okay, we need to get a new CD. Let's go get a CD or, or uh, tape. Yep. And, you know, and this is really how I can tell, like, when the airs were switching over because I bought this on CD, which means I had just gotten, like, my first boom box for my okay. room. Yep. Um, and I was starting to, to get CDs. The first CD I ever owned was Diggable Planets, um, which I bought with my dad, uh, which... Still a great record to this day, but, you know, Cool Like That was on there. And the second CD I bought, I was with my mom, and I thought, okay, I need to get this band Nirvana. We went to the warehouse, and the display case in the front was displaying Incesticide. Now, I had heard Nevermind was what she was playing in the car. Yeah. And I knew it because she had shown me that like the cover of the tape, the like baby and, and, and the Cool, world. and I thought... Yeah. But we got there, and the display case was all about incesticide. So that means that when I had heard Nevermind, it had already been out for a while. Yeah. And they, I know that you know Geffen was trying to, to capitalize on that. That's why they put incesticide out, right? Which is all the B-sides and, and yeah, feminences yeah. and all that, right? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. No. I think that's their brand new CD. As you would. As I got to get their brand new CD. Yeah, yep. I purchased that. I come home. I put it in the CD player. It's got the little duck on the back. And I, it was it as close to an epiphanic moment as I've ever had because I played it, just, you know, music comes out that I never heard before. And and to listen to Incesticide before, never mind. I mean, it's it's a grungier, like, dirtier, raw sound, right? Yeah, and very much so. <laughs> it, it got to aneurysm, and I was, you know... It's a pumping straight of my heart. It's a pumping straight of my heart. Right? And that just like incessant, like he's just hitting one note and climbing up yeah. on the guitar. Yeah. I went downstairs and I said, Mom, I need to play the guitar. And I had been taking sax lessons, saxophone lessons for about two years. I was pretty good. I have uh, pictures of me playing saxophone as a kid. Yep. Um, and she said, no, 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 you play saxophone. I said, I need to play guitar. Yeah, time's changing. Said, <laughs> she said, like, acoustic, you want to play acoustic guitar? And I always fiddled around with my grandmother's, my, my dad's mom's uh, acoustic guitar. Yep. And just messed around with it, but never, like, took to it. And I said, no, I need to play electric guitar. And she said, oh, okay, well, save up your, your money from chores and stuff. You buy half of it, I'll play it, great. And about, you know, three, four weeks later, we went and I got lessons i got a i kept playing sax at the same time but i remember coming home i also bought the uh dod and i still possess it i will never sell it the dod grunge pedal grunge pedal yep the purple a matrix one. amp uh the purple one right a, yep. a matrix amp and a gtx squire ripoff guitar okay cream colored because i had seen kurt cobain playing a cream colored guitar yep and i got home plugged in and just fucking, <laughs> yep. And I, to this day, will recommend to all of the students that I have if they have never plugged into an amplified guitar, yep. And play just uh, doesn't you don't have to play a chord. No, just, just plug in, turn everything. the volume up, yep. And just the, you know, it's like Macaulay Culkin in the in the video for Black and White. It yep. just just 
whoosh, yeah. you know, the glasses come off your face. And I remember that was it. I was, I was absolutely hooked. And, you know, crisscross, Bell Bib DeVoe didn't play the tapes anymore. Just like they were there. So the, the, and here's the weird morph, what happens at that time. And being in the South Bay at that time was actually a really interesting moment because like you said, this is, I'm 11 years old now. That means it's 1994. Yep. Um, you know, I, I remember Green Day. I, I, I bought Green Day on tape. This is where it's weird, right? I bought Green Day on tape. I had Nirvana on CD. It was like kind of you go back and forth, like, well, I could buy two tapes or one CD. Which do I want to yeah, do? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I've got Green. I remember buying Green Day and Metallica, the Black Album, yep. right? At the same time, uh, and, and Offspring I bought on CD, uh, Smash. Yep. And at the same time that that was happening, which which was like, that's the global phenomenon, right? Like that's like okay, yeah. this is this going a big. The same time that was happening, I remember my sister gave me for my twelfth birthday, if I remember correctly, uh, the self titled record by a band called Ninety Eight Mute. Ninety Eight Mute uh, was on a label called Theologian Records, and Ninety Eight Mute had had members of. Um, or their brothers were in Pennywise. In Pennywise, yeah. Jason Thirsk's brother. Yeah, exactly. Justin Thirsk. Yeah. Uh, and my sister actually had dated the bass player, Doug Weems, from 98 Mute. Wow. Um, when she was in high school. So she was giving me the CD more as like a, here's the CD from some guy I used to date. You know, you're listening to some guitar music now kind of thing. Not, not based on like, here's some cooler stuff. No, wow. no. Okay. It was like, here's a CD. She probably got one. Yeah. yeah, she probably got one for free. Here it is. Yep. Um, and I, at the time, knew of Pennywise, but like, wasn't my thing because it didn't sound like Green Day. I yep. think maybe I don't know. I and and it was local, so somehow I was like, fuck that. Yeah. Well, it's too popular. Yep. It's in surf videos. Fuck that. Yeah. But '98 Mute, uh, the cover of that record, it's still all of our friends, my close friends, we will all hold to this. It's one of the best records we ever heard. 98 mute self-titled it's a it's like an opichi um uh like a folder with like you know the people playing basketball and football and stuff but made into punk yep uh that was the time when i was like oh man and they were on theologian records yep right and i still was uh, was dumb too maybe it heard wafting in the air like a black flag in my brain uh or descendants but i'd never heard listen to them um but they were on Theologian Records. Theologian Records was run by a man named Mark Theodore. Mark Theodore owned a local record stop uh, called Alternative Groove. I went with my friend Tolga and my friend Jeff uh, to Alternative Groove exactly one time before they closed. And you walked into that store and there was like records. And so now my brain's going like, well, fuck, what? I got to get a record player <laughs> too? Medium. Because I got yeah. CDs and tapes and now a record player. What's going on? So I remember asking for a record player for my 12th or 13th birthday. Um, all of our friends had gotten guitars and were like starting to play guitar in sixth grade. Yep. Um, and In Utero came out, right? And In Utero to this day is my favorite record of all time. Wow. Um, okay. But I remember buying In, in Utero at Target, the local, you know, like our whatever big chain store. Yep. Um, and even when I go into the, I'm still going to the same Target once in a while and I go like that. I know where I bought it was back here. They have like the Game Boy, Game Boy yep. DS right now back there. Uh, 
And at the same time, getting into 98 Mute, that got me into going to like the record store. Like, okay, Theologian, go to Alternative Group. That closed down. And then we were like, fuck, man. Alternative Group closed down, so we don't know what to do about music now. And we knew, right, you know, like, okay, we know going to like these chain stores, it's not really it. Because at, at, at the time, it was also like, okay, we bought Rage Against the Machine. Yep. And we loved it. But that was like big. And yeah. we knew from 98 Mute that there was something else that was possible. So about six or seven months after Alternative Group closed, we were about 13, 14, uh, a store called Scooter's Records opened up. Okay. Um, and when Scooter's Records opened up, I am not exaggerating. My best friends and I, every weekend, yeah. would either skateboard or bike. To, it was in Hermosa Beach. Uh, it was located, you could throw a baseball from where they were to the church where Black Flag yeah. uh, had grown up playing all their stuff and Mm. scooters records uh was approximately i would say no more than 200 square feet it was incredibly small one little office in the bottom of like a like a you know nondescript office building and it was run by a guy named tim mcdermott and he was there every day he was a dj at kxlu the local uh, like kind of indie radio station and he almost single-handedly shaped our listening habits because we would go in and we'd go, okay, you looked at the thank you notes from the, from, you know, 98 million. Like, well, I want to buy something else on theologian. So uh, I'll buy war called peace. Okay. And then you'll have the war called peace CD. And he would go, okay, war called peace. Have, have you ever listened to descendants? Uh, and you go, no, like maybe, maybe I'll check that out. Right. Yeah. And then you kind of like go, like, okay, he said descendants. Well, I guess I'll, I'll buy that CD. I'll buy that record. Right. <laughs> Uh, you should check out Black Flag Damaged. Have you, have you heard that one yet? Right? Um, and then that, at the same time, you know, you're getting um, mixtapes from friends and stuff, you know, with Dead Kennedys on it, with Vandals on it. Like, this was such a crazy time for music where it would be such a wide breadth of, yeah. of, of what you were putting into your, your ears, mostly going through thank you notes. Yep. And, and, mostly trying to um almost like follow crumbs yeah, right like absolutely. this crumb to that yeah. crumb and i still hadn't even gone to a show right. i had never even <laughs> seen live yeah. I, I, not even i'm telling you man not even a concert i had never seen live music i would never seen music were you aware live. that bands were playing you just didn't get access to it or it wasn't even on the radar so what happened was right about this time 13 14 years old um I, 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 I think there's two main events that happen. So, um, you know, I'm playing guitar and I'm like trying to play in bands and stuff. Right. So I know that bands exist. Yeah. I know that there are other bands out there. I became really good friends with a guy named uh, Spike. Uh, and that was his nickname. Um, but Spike played drums and his older brother, Charlie, was in a local band called Short Fuse. Short Fuse put a seven inch out on Theologian Records, which I have somewhere over in my collection. Yeah. And they were supposed to be playing a show at the at Frogs, which was a local place that people people playing shows. And I remember so excited. I've got a journal entry that's like, going to the show tonight. Can't wait. This is seventh grade now. Can't wait. No seventh or eighth grade. Might be it's eighth grade. Can't wait. Oh my God. Fuck. It's gonna be great. We get to the show, I'm with Spike. Um and it's raining and frogs has a hole in the roof and the stage is like right underneath it. Sorry. Can't have the show. Not happening. And I remember just like 
yeah. right? <laughs> um, and the next possible show that came up was uh, uh, at the Kiwanis Club in Hermosa Beach in Valley Park, and that was Four Men Short and a band called No Knocks Nine, um, who I think maybe the Deviates or an early version of the Deviates were also playing. And I was, none of my, my friends were either already there or I don't even know, but I remember my mom taking me by myself and she's like, okay, I'll pick you up in a couple hours. Got to the show. To this day, don't really like any of the bands we're playing. Circle Pit had already started. Yeah. Walk in, pay my five bucks, start running around in a circle. And my mind is just like, yep, this is it. This yeah. is what needs to happen all the time. That's incredible. So that was a major moment. And then I think maybe like uh, the other major moment was about a year before that when I was 13. Um, my father and I went to no, my, my dad, my stepmom, Barbara and I went to eat dinner at a place at the time, which was called Chia Luchis, which has now turned into a place called Charlie's. If you live in the South Bay, yep. never eaten there. Uh, it was an Italian restaurant in a little strip mall. There's a great vegan, um, vegan restaurant there now called happy veggie uh, near it. But at the time, it was called Chialucci's, and we were there, and the wait time was like 15 or 20 minutes. And in the same uh, little strip mall, there was a, a record store called Offbeat Records, whose ads in the local newspapers were awesome. Um, it was uh, Offbeat, 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 a bunch, and then one of them was inverted that said Beat Off. <laughs> you're like, ah, yeah. love it. Get it in and there. I remember walking in there and having this very prescient moment where we all, I think, who are into this music have that moment where you go, okay, I know the bands I have to listen to, right? The the, the Mount Rushmore's. You know Misfits, you know uh, Descendants, you know Dead Kennedys, Operation Ivy at the time. And then for me, the one that I was missing was, okay, I need to listen to Minor Threat. Okay. And I just walked around like, hmm, I guess I guess this will be the day where I buy Minor Threat. I've never heard them. I just like knew you're supposed to have that record. Bought the CD, paid for it, left. You know, sit with my dad at dinner, anxious. Like I want to get back. I want to listen yeah, to the CD. Throw it on, yeah. We get back to his house, um, which at the time was right next to my high school, 1735 Dixon. If you're counting out there, and. Uh, Went into my room. He was upstairs with my stepmom. I was downstairs, but I knew I, I, my dad's. I couldn't listen to music loud. Yep, music was soft in the house. Uh, I had an Iowa stereo at the time that the speakers had two different uh, volume controls. Okay, right. so you had to move them both at the same time. Yeah, there's a way of getting balance done at the same time as volume. Yeah, so I remember turning the volume down and the cd player wasn't even part of the unit it was my dad's old portable cd player that i had to aux in put it in there filler comes on i'm standing with my ear next to the speaker with the, the lyric book and like like just lightning strike man just holy fuck
when I got to Minor Threat, uh, no, when I got to Straight Edge, and like I had heard that term thrown around, I think, but when I got to that song, I'm 13, my friends and I were cool. Like we were like some of the popular kids, but we also at the time, you know, drugs had started to be, and I have a, a journal entry I've read recently and said, like, you know, drugs, drugs, if I wanted to do them already, could have done them, you know? And yeah. it's like, yeah. I remember just going very readily, holy fuck, this guy is the most rebellious, like, the voice, like, watching friends or whatever, or friends as older siblings get drunk or whatever, versus listening to this guy, Yeah, this guy is a rebel, this yeah. guy's a badass, this guy is fucking mental, out of his mind, I want to be crazy out of my mind, I don't want to be the fucking you know, I'm drunk on the side of the street. Like, it was like, everyone was that. I want to be this guy. And I remember skating a bunch at that time and like, you know, coming back to someone's house and someone was doing, co like someone's sister was doing cocaine in the bathroom. And I'm like, fuck. And hearing Straight Edge. And this is why, like, there's a, a real big divide in my mind. And like, when people, I don't talk about this a lot, but when people talk about, are you Straight Edge or whatever? Like, I remember very readily going like, I didn't think like, oh, I'm straight edge right now. I thought like, I want to be like this. I want to be rebellious. And if everyone is doing that, there must be something wrong with that. There must be something boring or easy with that. I want to do the thing that seems that's driving this guy to sing like this fucking maniac, you know? And that was it. It was Discord. And, and all of our friends fell in love with Discord at the time. Um, we all... Which is, is kind of ironic, right? Because you're asking about Pennywise. Like, we hated Pennywise okay. because we saw that as, you sold out, man. We're looking at Minor Threat. We're looking at Ian McKay. We're looking at these guys who, at 17, were putting out their own records, not leaning on any any sort of bigger structure out of their bedroom. Holy fuck. And that got all the way to me 10 years later? Like, Incredible. And, and we, we really leaned into that is what we leaned into. We, you know, the year in seven inches, um, flex your head. You know, we each had our favorite band that was on there and it's, we had a really tight knit group of friends. It was me, Tolga, Amir and Jeff. And all of us just bought into discord really heavily and gladly. So, and I, you know, from, I made the choice then and there that like, not that like, I'm not going to drink then I'm not going to do drugs. Um, but to carry that fucking, sp the, the spirit of that, you know, which was, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to ask questions of everyone around me. Just because other people are doing it doesn't mean it's the right thing. Um, and I, and I harbored that I put it inside of me, you know? And at the same time, I mean, get how crazy this. I, I saw that as the same as Kirk, like, you know, in utero came out about the same time I heard the minor threat discography and, you know, Kurt Cobain commits suicide, and I was, he committed suicide uh, the day before my birthday, and uh, April 5th, and I, I turned, eight, I think I turned 13, or 12, 12 or 13 when he committed suicide, 13 maybe, and tears, all day long, week of tears, my mom was like, it was the first time I, I experienced heartbreak, and she was like, what's wrong, and think about it, he was, uh, you know, a junkie, yeah, doing heroin all the time. I knew he did drugs even back then, but I saw that as the same spirit as Minor Threat, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. So it wasn't the substance so much as it was the like question everything, really question authority. 
So uh, those two at that time were really what, what solidified my, you know, journey into punk and hardcore. And from there, I mean, shows started happening. It was a really fertile time in the South Bay of Los yeah. Angeles. Uh, there were shows at a place called the Wolf's Den. There were shows at H2O. There was the Armory show. And we didn't have to go very far when we were, we couldn't drive yet. So we would see a bunch of bands at the time, like War Called Peace, like I said, Deviates, Pulley. Um, oh, were they South Bay? I always thought they were... Um... They weren't South Bay, but they okay, played they around down here because they were friends with other people. Um and then there, then there was a cool little morph when we when we started in high school and we started to be able to drive. That's when like internet also started to become. Well, I don't. I, I mean, to your point, I, Silverchair was also a CD that I bought. Like, yeah, well, okay, I made it that far. I loved Silverchair. Uh, I loved Smashing Pumpkins. Right. So the alternative thing wasn't that was on the radio, and I still listen to it, and I still like put that in my brain. I remember reading Guitar World all about James Eha's effects and how to make the guitar sound like yep. they did on Melancholy. But I also didn't see that as my route. I saw that as like, that's rock stars. And yeah. I, and I liked some of this music. And I thought, you know, to be honest, there was a moment in my life when I was like, you know, I could be a musician that that was my life. And I didn't want to go to college and, and I was in high school loving it. And, um, you know, descendants became huge. Milo goes to college. Every song on that. I was, I, Still to this day, when I'm when I start driving and I am like fuck all these people, I'll put on Milo goes to college because and drive around in my hometown because I'm like you guys don't even fucking know this is from here. Fuck you guys. Um, but but um, that's also when like internet stuff started happening and we got licenses. So then we recognized okay, Discord happened. It's still happening, but like we, you know, some of us got into Fugazi. I didn't really get into Fugazi that much. Some of us into Embrace, um, Dag Nasty for sure. But we started going like, okay, but what's happening right now? Yeah. And what was happening right now in Southern California was, you know, Epitaph was kind of big. So this band Straight Faced yep. kind of leaned us into a little bit more harder sound of music. And then we found things like, uh, indecision records. So if I'm indecision records, right, it starts getting metal, like metallic, right? So you've got adamantium, throwdown, um, death by stereo, and death yeah. by stereo was one of the first, like, bigger shows that I went to that I was just mind blown. And at the same time, like, at the middle of that, that's when Bridge Nine started being kind of like a bigger thing. Yeah. So yeah. I remember getting the first AN7. We listened to American Nightmare on MP3. Off of the mullet board. Um, <laughs> Xmulletx.com. Yeah. And we yep. were fucking, uh, like, within the same year, I had gone to, like, the first website I ever went to was Silverchair and amazing. the mullet board That's kind amazing. of at the same time. <laughs> and uh, I remember listening to, we listened to that, like, oh man, this band's amazing. And I remember seeing them when they came out, they played the PCH, um, I believe. Um, they I know they played. What is now Chain Reaction? I think it was Chain Reaction when they played, but Public yep. Storage is, was before that. And so, yeah, Death by Stereo, and then American Nightmare came out, and we loved Count Me Out, which came out on Indecision. Yep. Um, and those shows actually where I live now in El Segundo, there was a bunch of shows at the El Segundo Teen Center that they didn't allow people not from El Segundo to go to unless, you know, we were from out of town, we're from the next town over, but we kind of convinced them, like, look, we convinced Neil, who ran the Teen Center, to let us in. Um, so was, and that's it, was it locals saw. only because it was 
because there was too many people. Run by the city. No, okay. it was run by the city. And what was really cool about Asagundo at the time, they had a huge like straight edge movement. There's a bunch of kids that all kind of fell into listening to on their own right too, listening to you know, uh, Throwdown, yep. um, Bleeding Through, Eighteen Visions, yep. and so there was a huge. Uh, I don't. Uh, what's the name of the band now? Um, the Ghost Inside is that the band, okay. right? Yeah, yeah. So the guy who's head of that is from El Segundo, and he was like all into like you know all of them were into like the straight edge thing at the time and um we got to go to the shows but i mean i remember you know uh god uh one king down even came out and played a show there uh and then there's bands on this record uh label called new age that i loved um countervail uh insurgents and we were going to shows all over like literally we had a, you know we got our license and our parents didn't even realize we were driving to Ojai from LA which is round trip probably 3 hours an hour and a half to get there hour yeah. and 45 minutes to get there you know show happens we leave at 11 get back at 1 in the morning yep. go to school the next school night yeah 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 going to see Bane right going to see uh reach the sky when they would come out so um Bane, I think, was the most formative at the end period of that. But it's all such a weird smear that happens in the spark, you know, is that 98 Mute record. Wow. Then listening to Minor Threat and reconfirming, like going, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and also, you know, Nirvana was like the the through line for it, you know. And I was never apologetic. I was always like, you know what, I love Nirvana. Yeah, I think amazing. Um, getting and, into Nirvana, and, <clears throat> sorry, getting into Nirvana on incesticide could have been the worst thing that happened to you, potentially. No, no, right. no but like right. you could, you like a different person, like could have picked it up and gone, "The fuck is this?" Like, yeah. yeah, this isn't this isn't come as you are. This isn't you know Polly or whatever. Like, right, yeah, I'm uh, out. I'm not interested. Yeah, if this is what it is, then I'm not interested. Well, you know what? Maybe too though is that all of the angst that I had built up, which, you know, did occur. There are other things in my family life that, you know, by that time I'm 11 years old and, you know, my, my family is, I was the only friend I had that had divorced parents and yeah. wasn't sad or like, Oh, boo hoo is me. I mean, much, there's a lot, I, I, I lived a great life in terms of like my parents provided everything I ever needed. they, showed me love they are always um supportive of me i was a good student didn't do drugs like, all this stuff was fine there was not like drug abuse in the house um but there was dysfunction okay. you know and there was depression around a lot and there was sadness and hurt and i was always a very sensitive kid and i think um you know for any of you out there if you've ever watched a parent firsthand really suffer and really feel depression or pain or sadness you know i grew up watching my mom she she's been left by three men she's been cheated on by three men in the house you know and it it really formed a lot of who i was i had to grow up to a certain extent in in some ways knowing you know not the words to tell my mom but knowing she's on the couch not happy right now 
hey, mom, can we get some ice cream? Even if I don't want ice cream, you know, yeah. just like she getting off the couch so that we can like go get ice cream. Like, okay, she's going to take care of me. And I don't want to paint the picture of her as a victim either as, as weak because she's the strongest woman I know. But I know that, you know, when my sister went to college, it was more or less me and my mom at my mom's house. And we share a really different bond than my brother and sister have with her. Um, you know, being seven, eight, nine years old and, and feeling like I'm protecting my mom. Mm. Um, it, it allows you, it, it, it has you grow up a little bit. And I think, you know, I also have a, a really close, one of the close friends that talked about his mom passed away of, of uh, breast cancer when we were about 12. And all of us that were close with him, she was, I mean, she was so get choked up sometime when I think about it because she was uh, like the best mother. You know when you go to some kid's house and you spend the night and you know, their mom's like, oh, okay, you're, go over there. She knew I was the kid who always like didn't want to spend the night, you know, who like wanted to go in my own bed. Yeah. And she multiple times would be like, yeah, you know, like I was thinking maybe you'd want to go walk back to your house with me, you know, because I lived a couple of houses down. And when she passed away, I think a lot of us realized that life is a fucker. Yeah. And... um that didn't have a place to go with crisscross that didn't have a place to go with Belle Biv DeVoe, mm. but it does have a place to go when you hear, um, aneurysm, yeah. you know, uh, or, or when you, you know, for, in utero for me, you know, when you hear serve the servants, but just that, right. Just, it, it's a, it's a, a place where you can, harbor that emotion within sound um yeah so i don't know uh that whole time period to me kind of smears together is one solid chunk of music becoming my life you know um and i think one of the things that you touched on that is kind of important like you're talking about pennies i've come around like i listen to pennywise now like uh I think one of the things that's important um, to note is that a lot of the music that came from the South Bay, Descendants, Black Flag, Pennywise, 98 Mute, War Called Peace, Deviates, if you go back and look at it, a lot of the people's families that were in those bands were in the aerospace industry or the technology industry. My, my parents yeah. were at IBM. And there's a lot of money, right? So you're well-to-do. Yeah. But there's a whole lot of dysfunction, I think, that also happens with that because they're spending a lot of time at work. You're a latchkey kid for the most part, right? And you don't know what to do. I know me even to this day. I don't know what to do with the fact that I grew up with a great life. Skateboarding, you know, yeah. drinking crystal clear Pepsi, going to the beach. <laughs> yeah. Great. But how do I reconcile that with telling people, but like, no, but also there was a lot of sadness, yeah. Also, there was a lot of like anger and frustration. Most of it, and that wasn't for all of my friends, but you know, for a lot of us, there was like, "Fuck, man, this is there's, it's paradise, but there's shit that's that doesn't feel right, that doesn't feel good, and you feel guilty. Even to this day, I feel guilty sometimes where I go like, you know, I live such a charmed life. What the fuck do I have to complain about? Um, but you know, uh, I'd say. If you listen, if you listen at all to any danger stuff, uh, that first seven inch we put out has a song called Stella Lost Her Grooves. Um, and that's all about 
Scooter's records. And, you know, I still have that's a, that tattoo right there is the, uh, that's the logo, the logo for the record store. And Stella was the, the dog that was, you'd think it would be Scooter's, but it was Stella. I think Scooter might've been his first dog, but, um, Tim, the guy who ran Scooter's always had his dog around there. Yeah. And, uh, a very like kind of a closing chapter. I mean, I was there every weekend, every single weekend buying a different record, different CD, different, just talking. Uh, and when danger started, um, or I went to college and I was in a band called the miracle mile when I started, when I was in uh, freshman year of college, I got word that scooters was closing during my first semester in college. I was on the East coast in New Jersey and that kind of, like, I was 18 and that's kind of what I was saying that it kind of caps that period of my life. Mm. I got a picture of like the last day. I we didn't even get to come back to to see it before it closed. Yeah. Uh, and I remember, you know, that was a really poignant, sad time for me. I was like, you know, this place that I I loved. It's other people have L.A. tattoos. Other people have South Bay tattoos. Like that was my home. That 200 square feet um, every weekend. It it changed who I was as a person, and it, and it showed me so much about the world through music. Uh, that when it closed, uh, what the South Bay was closed down for yeah. me. It, it kind of, and to this day, it's not the same. There's not shows here. People don't know the, the history of the music that happened here. There's a couple murals with Pennywise or Descendants up on them. But, like, you know, I teach my, my kids when I coach every year in soccer. The first practice we have is a, they watch Black Flag playing live. Uh, the target video yeah, yeah, yeah that's the first video that's the first thing we talk about and i tell them this is where you're from you are from this place with these people who went to this school um you know descendants i'll show them videos of it and when you play soccer i know it sounds crazy you're playing with that spirit you're playing to yeah. represent that other places don't have that you go to la habra high they've got gutter mouth fuck that <laughs> you come here that's you've so got good. You've got descendants. You've got black flag. That is who you represent in some weird, twisted way. Yeah. Uh, and I try to teach them about the history of the the culture here is is so deep. So it's birthplace of volleyball, surfing, um, birthplace of, of punk rock to a certain extent on the West Coast. Yeah. Like, fuck, man, it's it's really humbling to have been from here um, and to have tried at least to attempt, you know, like SST records, discord records like that. That's really what stuck with me. It's the ethos that still sticks with me to this day. That's fucking incredible. What song we got? Um, God, it's so ridiculous. I mean, I know, I want it's, I know it's hard I and I completely the, understand that, but like, I want the album, the album to be in utero, but the song to be straight edge by minor threat. Okay. Cause it, I mean, it, I would not be the same person without that song. It yeah. changed everything about like my trajectory through life.
you know, you said you were going to shows and stuff, but that, but like until you mentioned Miracle Mile, um, and when you're on the East Coast, you didn't really mention about playing in bands. Like, like, w- were you trying to? Were you, like you were watching this live music that was local? Did you yeah. did you then have the spark to be like, let's do something original here, or what? Like, kind of. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So we, I mean, first band I was in was called Switch Sixth Grade Talent Show. Uh, <laughs> I can name I can name every member of every band I've ever had. Was Me, it a cover band? Michael, nope. We played an original song wow. called uh, um, "Intruder" is what I want to think it was called. I think it was loosely about my mom's boyfriend at okay. the time who ended up cheating on my mom as well, and I had to kick him out of the house when I was sixteen. Yeah. Um, uh, we made shirts. <laughs> we drew on a sharpie switch, yeah. and we did like a light switch. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> There wasn't even a full drum set. Garrett just played the the snare drum. Wow. <laughs> There's a video of it somewhere. I got yeah. I got to I got to find a video somewhere. But um, yeah, there's just like a little like I could like link in. So you go yeah. from that to um, Independent Jays was like the aneurysm cover band. Okay. But that bl- bled into being in a band that eventually was called All Out, which I would love to find the demo. I must have like those songs recorded on tape somewhere, but you know, we recorded a demo on a Tascam four track. Yep. Uh, that was me and Spike and Evan. And my close friend is weird because they were younger than me. And my close friends from my elementary school, um, they had were starting a band too. But like, I don't know. I was kind of on the outs with them at the moment. I don't know. And and Spike was a better was a better drummer or something. I don't know. So then, all out was the band I was in for a while, and then. They called their band um, Time for Change, um, which eventually I was around all the time and hung out with them. And eventually I was like, you know, maybe I should play guitar, too, with you guys. Come on. So um, that was when our high school band really kind of like solidified. And we were called Miyagi. Um, And we put out two CDs uh, on our own. I wish I, I don't know if you can even find them online. If I can find the the you, if there's someone who's put it up on YouTube, I'll find it and send it to you. But yeah, please um, do. The second the second video is pretty pretty damn good, and we and we recorded um, with this guy JP Caballero, who's now was in a band called uh, White Arrow okay. or White Arrows, a pretty big indie band. Um, he went to our high school with us. I dated his sister for a while. Yeah, but we were. Um, all in this band Miyagi and played shows. That's the first taste of music that we had. We played shows um, at this place called Getronic in in Torrance, and we played at the Teen Center here. Um, you know, and we were coming from all over the place. AFI was a big influence. Yeah. Ignite was a big influence. But then also, like like I said, Minor Threat was a big influence. Uh, I, all over the fucking place, man. Uh, yeah, Adamantium for a couple moments of the song. Yeah. Just, what is going on? Um, <clears throat> and I remember our second, so our second record was called, our first record was called, it was taken from Siddhartha, I believe, because I love Siddhartha by Herman Hesse, but it was like Summer Sky, Summer Skies Traced Through, Something Paths Traced Through Summer Skies, and it was like, this guy playing the cello on the cover, and like, what are we doing? And then, 
the second record was called uh, Everyone Goes to College because right. we were all leaving for college. Yep, yep. Um, and when we were leaving, we all had this idea. You know, we, we wanted to do something that was like, we saw Bridge Nine as an extension of something like mm. uh, Discord. Yeah. Um, uh, or Equal Visions, right? Like, we knew people just a little bit older than us were starting these record companies. We were like, uh, and bless them, my, my best friend, Tolga, started a record company called Western Front. Um, and he and, and our friend Matt started that, and they put out the first Outbreak 7-inch. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, from, and, and he went to school at Haverford in Philadelphia. I went to Princeton, um, in uh, New Jersey. We all were spread across the country. Our friend Amir was at Berkeley. Jeff was in Boston. Like we, we all kind of had known that music was going to play more of a role in our life. I, we played a lot of shows growing up um, in, my mother has a uh, bachelor studio apartment above the garage. And that's where my grandmother lived. Uh, until I was 16 as well. It was a crazy year for me. She um, had schizophrenia and had a big mental break. If you listen to the song Tarantula Type, yeah. um, that's all about my grandmother. Um, and she was moved into a home. She was catatonic very closely. I'm, that's, I'm writing a book all about that right now. But we would. I had the key. My mom didn't know I had the key to the apartment. So when she was still at work, we would go have band practice up there. And when we would have band practice, it turned into a few bands were going to practice back to back with our friends watching. So it ended up just being shows that were some of the most epic shows. It'd be like 50 kids. Wow. All upstairs in this fucking garage doing like sing-alongs and jumping off stuff and covering Misfits, covering Ignite, you know, and you just doing whatever you wanted to do. And, uh, the cops would come once in a while and be like, okay, what are you guys doing? Too loud. Yeah. Like, ah. um, but some of the younger bands that were there, there's a band called Second to Last that played. And um, when I went to college, I was like, okay, so Miyagi's done. Uh, I want to start another band. I met my, my other best friend, my freshman year of, of college, and he played bass or he just picked up a bass. And I had some songs from that from the band before, and I was like, "Well, do you want to maybe try to start a band?" And he's like, "Well, who are we going to get in the band?" And we tried to find people in the East Coast. I'm like, "Nah." It's like I know these young kids; they're still in high school back in California, but they're great. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, "Okay." So we went back and formed this band, Miracle Mile, uh, in 2001. And on every break that we had, we would play shows. You know, we would. Oh, okay. And and we, and we had the desire to like. I was like, "Okay, I want to tour the country." I want to do that. That's something I feel like I should should get to do somehow. And how does that happen? And that was the band where I was like, okay, Miracle Mile, we're going to do this. Um, and I also at that same time got a grant and I started um, uh, a festival called Sync with Cali Fest, um, which was, was Posse Numbers. Yeah, so Posse yeah. Numbers started on the, the East Coast. Coast. Yep. And we had gone, Miracle Mile got to play a pre-show for... I don't know, Posse numbers 2003, I think, 2002 maybe. And I was just adamant. I was like, this should be on the West Coast. What the fuck? And so I got some grant money from Princeton to put on a cultural event that had nothing to do with school or academics, which was great. And so 
I put on Sync with Cali for four years. So that was 2002, 2003, 2004, 2005. So you and took grant money from, a, from an East Coast school and put yeah. on a festival in California. Yeah, I mean, I had... I was, it was only like, That's how you work the system. It was five grand that I got, and I just used it to like buy supplies and to buy the to put the down payment on the rental. Yeah, and then I just hoped bands would come out, and that was, I mean, that was there's a there's a DVD somewhere the first year, but it was really cool. It was at the uh, Knights of Columbus Hall in um, uh, Redondo Beach, California, and you know I just asked because I was living on the East Coast. I saw a bunch of bands over there, so you know I got to ask. Modern Life is War had been traveling. I asked them to play. I didn't. I don't remember who. Uh, Outspoken did a reunion as like one of the headlining bands, and you know it just kind of took off. But all the money I gave, all the money to the bands, and saved enough to rent the hall the next year, and yep. just did it four years in a row until yeah. things got fucked up that last year where uh, there was a shooting before we not of our event, but we couldn't use the right venue, and things got all messed up. Um, so I had to like tell the bands, hold on, I don't know, I got to move the venue, etc. When that happened, uh, that's when uh, Sound and Fury guys started Sound and Fury, okay. which was kind of like a, a little bit of a fuck you to us because it's another, they're both Youth Brigade titles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and there's a little bit of territorialism, I think, in California at the time, especially like, oh, those are just beach kids, whatever. But like, anyway, once that started, you know, I was like, oh, they've got it covered. They can do it. It's too much of a headache. Like, I don't need to worry about it. So, yeah, what happened was, like, so Dangers emerged out of the the aftermath of the Miracle Mile. Yep. Because that band blew up and, like, you know, we toured around the country once or twice and then knew that that was it. Like, that there was no more for that band. Um, and I had saved a couple songs. My senior year of college, um, I went home and Amir, one of my best friends who was in the high school band, I was like, hey, can you go play drums for this demo I want to do? And he's like, sure. So we just learned the songs and it was literally me and Amir just playing the demo songs. And I didn't have a band and I just thought, I'll find some people who maybe want to do this. Yeah. And so kind of one by one, I found a couple people that wanted to do it. And our first show was at... I think our first show was at either at Sync with Cali or something we called Jam January first. No, it must no, it would have been Sync with Cali. So our first show would have eh, I don't know where our first show I think it was one of the two of those. I put on a show. Yep. And at that show, um, I kind of called out by name uh, FSU at the time. Yeah. It was a big thing around here and it just I was like, Hey, I don't understand why it's happening. We need this to stop. And that was a really big, like, kerfuffle. It pissed a lot of people off, I guess. And I didn't think I was saying anything crazy. I yeah. thought I was saying something that made a lot of sense, which was like, hey, I don't think people should get hurt at shows, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, let's not do that. Yeah. And that's kind of what spurred Dangers on to, like, a little bit of infamy because uh, we got on the shit list of a lot of people who ran shows, a lot of people who ran labels and you know, shut your fucking mouth to a certain extent. And we got, we didn't get to play a bunch of shit. We did a, East, a West coast tour for our first seven inch and weren't allowed to play any of the shows. Cause there's a bunch of people there who were like, Nope, you're not playing. They didn't want to be associated with the dangers. Like, and to use a really poor term, the dangers branding of anti FSU. So it yeah, your, yeah, 
it was just a, I think it was more that you know we had we didn't earn our right to say what we said in a lot of people's minds. Okay. We were just kids, young guy, and I didn't feel like I was a kid. I was twenty two years old, you know, and I felt like I've gone to shows on the East Coast and I've gone to shows on the West Coast. Um, anyway, I don't like to harp on it much just because like it went all of that stuff that happened seemed so far like away from what music was to me that just yeah. bummed me out a lot. Yeah. So anyway, danger started in that kind of, uh, at the long day. And I, you know, and danger has been the only band I've been in since then. It's 2005. Yeah. And, uh, I see every band linked. I could go back, you know, and link you backwards, link you backwards, link you backwards to like, well, and then this guy played in this band and this band. Yeah. That's why he came in over. And, uh, to this day, like, you know, Dangers is the outlet that all the music I've ever m make goes into that. Other people have different kind of side projects or whatever, and for me, it's just, if there's a song that seems like it should be sang, it goes into Dangers. Because and, when you, like, when I saw you in 2010, yeah. you guys also, or am I confusing it with, with the tour you did after, it was a joint tour with Graf uh, and Roboto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which obviously shares members. So yeah, that's how kind of uh, that plays out. But you're yeah, like, so yeah, Dangerous has a weird kind of history. There's a I, I. If you looked at the family tree of Dangerous, there's a lot of people that have been in Dangerous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the last the last seven years have been pretty stable. So more than half the band, it's been the same people, but. Um, starting, like I said, when you start a band, when it's just you, like, there's no one, like, who are you starting a band with, right? Like, I don't know. Um, so you're asking a couple friends if they want to, the, the bass player, the original bass player from the Miracle Miles, my best friend, Tim, and he, we were kind of on a friend hiatus, but he was like, all right, I'll fucking do it. So he was our bass player for the longest time. And he and I really talked about what we wanted the band to be like at the yeah. time. We never wanted to, to make it huge that wasn't the goal the goal was to to in, in the, the band name is so stupid to a large extent but it's all we could come up with because we were like what's missing from this music yeah. and it's actual danger right like like thought yeah. like not physical violence but like there's a band from new jersey called uh, a new enemy um they're defunct but they went on to be a band spanish bombs and wet witch anyway tyler's like awesome dude and, and um, they have a song at the time that the, in the line of it says, your mind's the most dangerous thing you have. And I always have that in my brain. I was like, yeah, it's so fucking great. So our whole thing was just, we'll do the band as the band needs to get done. And, yeah. and it will always be there. And, you know, uh, it wasn't something that we've necessarily needed to focus on all of the time, but it was always our engine to keep creative thought moving forward. And, Eventually found other people. Like, we toured, Dangerous toured with Graf Orlock a few times before Justin joined the band. Right. And he was just yeah. starting Vitriol. Um, I had put out the first Dangerous record, the first edition that I put out with my own money, because that's just what we did. Yeah. And um, Justin was on tour, and we were like, oh man, this guy's cool. And then, you know, we had a couple other guitar players that didn't really work out. And he was like, I'll do it. And we're like, Okay, and I had known of Justin. I had gone to shows near Justin. Yeah. Uh, 
for many years. Like, as I said, we would drive all over showcase to chain reaction. So, you know, I'd seen him playing bands before that. Um, uh, as hope dies, like he was in this band as hope dies. And like, I'm sure I saw them, but I didn't, uh, same thing with like Jeremy from touche. Like I've seen Jeremy from touche, like since I was 14, 15 years old going to shows, but because the way LA is, you don't befriend them because yeah. you're driving two hours. What are you going to be friends with a guy two hours away? Yeah, no, it doesn't like, work. doesn't work. So then when we all, we are all the kind of people that just kept doing bands. Right. And you're like, well, that guy's still doing bands. He plays guitar. Okay. That guy's still playing drums. Why don't you want to play drums? And yep. so, um, yeah. So when he started vitriol and was putting out, um, you know, messy, I think it was two years or as I don't know, it's like one of the first releases they had, but he was starting to put out graph stuff. And so, you know, it was basically like, you know, if you want to, if Justin wants graph to come play, I don't care. Like, I love graph. Like, come on, let's go. So, a lot of the show, I've seen Graph Warlock play live more than any other band. Yes, I can imagine. <laughs> I've seen them play over 200, 300 shows, I think, in my life. Uh, and uh, got to be really like close friends with everybody that's ever been in that band, too. So, that's that's what that how that tour kind of happened in Elsewhere. Yeah. There you go. So, what were you studying in uh, at Princeton? Uh, so yeah, I go to Princeton. This is kind of like the, the what's the name of this unit? Uh, when I get this old. Is me. When I get old. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my stuff. Uh, I studied. So I went to school for uh, literature. Um, creative writing was my. Um, we have to write a thesis at Princeton, and I read it. Wrote a creative thesis. Um, that was all about uh, a young man who decides he's going to kill himself when he's 23, when he's 18. So it's about the five years that he spends traveling around. Um, almost, he makes that decision so that he lives life more fully, not because he wants to die necessarily, and forces himself to sort of concentrate life. And uh, so I was studying literature and writing a bunch. Uh, I did photography while I was there. I was there mostly for, you know, liberal arts education and um, got into Columbia for um, MFA and fiction writing directly after that. So I went from New Jersey to New York, spent in total about seven years on the East Coast. Um, missed L.A. a lot. Yeah. But that's when Danger started. Dangers all started when I was living in, in New York, basically. Wow, okay all the band members lived in California. Mm. So every break back in California, doing a West coast tour back in California, starting like, you know, maybe a little regional tour. And, you know, we didn't even make it out to the East coast until like 2008, no later, 2009, 2010, yeah. something like that. Right before we went to Australia, actually. Um, and Justin was really instrumental. That when Justin entered the band, he was very competent. Like, okay, here's how we book a tour. Yep. Here's where we go. Um, Whereas I'm always like more of the dreamer, like, oh, I'd love to play Europe sometime. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Um, anyway, so, yeah, the, about that time when I was in college, that's that fun time, you know, when you're sort of like, okay, you know, yeah, I listen to hardcore punk, but I got to be like, I got to know all the music, you yeah, know, like yeah. it's, it's important, it's important to, to branch out. And luckily I was uh, two real big, strokes of luck one i was lucky to be part of wprb in, in princeton uh, it's the radio station for Princeton university one of the oldest stations in the country yep. great station won a lot of awards um right near wfmu but um 
I got to be the music. I was a DJ for all four years, and I got to be music director for a year. And I was the one guy who kept putting like Nirvana back in the main part of the studio, like play this more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're like, no, we're, we're college radio. We don't play shit like that. Um, but because of that, right, you get exposed to a lot more music that you have to kind of play mm. because you got to play the stuff that's coming out. Um, so I was at the time still like going to like every East Coast show that I could go to. I, you know, Fun Rama, seeing shows at Robbie Red Cheek's house, seeing Count Me Out or good friends of mine, like love watching them. American Nightmare shows all over the place. Suicide File just started at the time. Um, Bane, all the goddamn time. Um, so, as well as like local, more localer bands like Degenerics were playing a lot. I remember, well, it wasn't local, but Doss Oath came and played a few garage shows in New Brunswick. It was awesome. Uh, yeah, like really like the East Coast at that time was just, just really cool just to see all these bands. Um, but as the radio station went on, I was like, I did a radio show. I think I, somewhere I can still find a lot of my playlists online, but I had this show. Called, I, my show was called Sync with California. Okay. And um, two hours of a lot of loud and then soft as hell, you know, and that kind of Wilson Phillips side of me has always been there. Yeah. It's never really left. And the two most formative moments that I remember at this kind of period of my time, the other thing was there's a record store called the Princeton record exchange. It's still there. It's called the P-Rex. Yep. And they had a lot of uh, used CDs. Now you're looking at like the media people were swinging back into records. So used CDs were really cheap at the time. So I used it as an opportunity to buy all the shit that like, I knew I should own, but didn't, right? So Joy Division, New Order, Depeche Mode. Um, I don't know. I could, the the list is very long of this time I when I was imagine. like, yeah. like uh, okay, like I'm, I'm, a, I'm mature enough where I can listen to this without being an asshole, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I didn't really do it for newer music going forward so much except that. Um, I was at the radio station and I remember playing There's it's happened twice but the first time it happened put on um, the Cat Power song Good Woman off the record You Are Free which also has a Kurt Cobain um, reference in it. I mean that the song You Are Free is uh, about Kurt Cobain but the song Good Woman came on I put it on and stopped i remember listening to you know shan marshall uh sean marshall was singing and i and i i, I you know when you're doing a radio show you're you're getting the next thing ready all the time and i remember yeah. i was sitting there and i was like i i can't not i can't do anything i have to listen to this and i just sat down and i went to like a commercial afterwards i was like yeah we'll be right back you know and it stirred something inside of me that was really intense and i, I really loved cat power a lot at that time i'm not sure i mean i still listen to that record a lot um and moon picks uh there's they're really important and poignant for me at that time um love as well at that time was really fucked for me uh i you know i had a high school love that went wrong and so coming back into that being three thousand miles away from home and it's like if you went to perth you know yeah. and yeah, didn't know anybody, and um, also Princeton is like a pretty intense place. Yeah, uh, it's very different than South Bay, California. Yeah, so I was I was struggling a little bit, um, 
so yeah, that was a big moment for me that allowed me to clue back into, I don't know that like, it was okay to be, to like listen to soft things. I also befriended a guy named Joe Steinhardt who now owns and operates Don Giovanni records. He put okay. out like Waxahachie really recently. We did a radio show together for a while and he's a crazy guy. Yeah. But I remember those those moments were really like he was really into you know crazy loud hardcore punk too, um, but you know we both kind of were like you know music's music we listen to all of it so the the moment that really ch- changed me really permanently was listening to um, Hold On by Nico Case um, that was when I was a junior or senior in college and that was it. I, I, I recognize that all uh, the feeling that I got from hardcore and punk, you can also get from music that isn't hardcore and punk. Yeah. Now it's not always, it's, it's, it's rare. Yeah. Um, this was the time when you go reinvestigate Radiohead and, you know, kid a idiotech, that song like really spoke to me and, and, how to disappear completely. I remember off that record was big, but uh, listening to Nico case, her lyrics, that whole entire record, Fox confessor brings the flood. And it was out. Of course it was out on, um, not epitaph, but, um, anti anti. Yeah. And I, I listened to every lyric and I went and saw her play about a year later, maybe two years later for the first time when I was, I took myself on my 23rd birthday um bowery ballroom i want to i want to say and it's the first time i went to a show where there wasn't moshing and stage diving and everything where i was still on the balcony by myself mesmerized like just this is the most important place i've ever been in my life and i've seen her play now five or six times i remember i also went with a girl who i was dating very serious uh, dating and and cared cared deeply about um at the CNN Center, I want to say. I don't know what it was called, but the CNN Jazz Center. It, it, anyway, it's at the corner uh, that looking over Central Park, and the backdrop she played was Central Park. At that time, it was a 300-people seat. It was the Jazz Center. Jazz Center at, at I don't remember what it's called, but uh, the snow started to fall behind her as wow. she was playing. Um, just solidified it. Anyway, there's a line... Um, from Hold On, that song that says, I leave the party at 3 a.m. alone, thank God. Uh, it's the devil I love. And there's a song on Bend in the Break called It's the Devil I Love that's kind of about that song, but also just about, you know, the relationship between men and women and me looking at my nieces and thinking about I've tried to be a good man most of my life. And I know I have failed often. I know that I've I'm sure done things that have hurt women unintentionally and intentionally when I've, you know, nothing major, I don't think, but, uh, looking at my nieces and realizing, you know, even men with the best of intentions are going to hurt them. Mm. You know, you, you know, all of us, we hurt each other. That's mm. just what it is. And, uh, listening to that line though, you know, I leave the party at 3am alone. Thank God. It's the devil I love. It just, that was like hearing Ian Mackay, right? That's like hearing Ian Mackay say to me, you know, don't smoke, don't drink, don't need to, right? Uh, 
it's, I can think for myself, you know, I leave the party alone. Thank God. Right. Just how fucking like exact is that? I feel that way all the time. Um, and so that was my growing up part. I think, you know, um, that opened the door to all different sorts of music, right. That I love now. Um, I love Feist is huge in my life. I've seen her play a bunch of times. I really like people who can perform and grab me and not let me go. Uh, and of course I've still stayed. I still listen to loud music all the time. Like it's still part of me, but, um, I, I gravitate towards people who can present the world to me in a way that, that, makes sense and it makes me feel less alone and that's rare like there's a lot of people that sing a lot of songs but there's i mean you're talking about this with our band and i I appreciate that but when you can make the world feel a little bit smaller and someone else does that for me that's really what we try to do with our band which is you know here here is my small take on how things are if i can be as honest as i can possibly be maybe that will connect with somebody out there rather than trying to write something that is all encompassing. Um, yeah. Which is harder for, when I hear words in songs like power, like, uh, I don't know, like uplift or like revolution, you know, like I was thinking about, I loved raging and machine going up and the fuck we still have Trump. Yeah. You know, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what crazy music you make. That's real. That's rebellion and stuff. Yeah, it gives people a great feeling. But actual factual change on the earth. I don't know, man. What you can do is connect with other people, and music is a tool to make the world a more manageable place. So, um, I she's the one woman who I would, if I could meet anybody on the earth. I would, you know, I've seen her a bunch of times. I, I you talk about fanboy. Like, I don't even feel like a fanboy. I just feel like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to eat lunch with her and yeah. just see like what she thinks about the world. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know.
Well, and I will say, her whole catalog. I mean, that that's what bought, that was my 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 bite into her. Um, but her whole entire catalog is a journey that's just you know. There's there's a couple songs that don't need to be there, but yeah. if you listen to the lyrics, I mean, there's a there's a line in one of her songs that says, you know, and heaven will smell like the airport, but I met her, but I may never get there to prove it. So let's not waste our time thinking how that ain't fair. Like, fuck, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, anyway, I would listen to, to listen to Hold On, and then I would go back and actually listen to Blacklisted, if, in case anyone's listening to this and cares. Blacklisted is her second studio album, I believe, and uh, it's perfect. There's, there's not a, there's every single song is a keeper. Fantastic, awesome. Yeah. Alrighty, so let's, so you know, we can this this last part. It's always odd because it can be, you know, we kind of take off from early 20s yeah. and kind of try to summarize the last, sometimes it's five <laughs> years, sometimes it's 30, or not 30 years, but like sometimes it's a, it's a big gap. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, no, you know, you're younger than me, so don't take offense to it. Like, you know, yeah. my, my gap's a year bigger, but, um, you know, like I, I try not to make this too much about, because I want it to be about you, but also you know, you've mentioned like musically all you've ever done is dangerous. So that's obviously like, as we talk to each other right now, I can see your dangerous tattoo. Um, that's obviously a big part of the last, you know, at least, well, 15 plus years of your life or yet yeah, a considerable part of it. You know, I just like, I just, I feel like if it's okay with you not to pick apart stuff, but like get more context yeah. to, some some things that kind of drew me to dangerous were obviously the, the part of me the lyrics, and I'm not a big lyrics guy, but like I can still, so like as I mentioned to you before I hit record, so we're, I'm talking to AJ and he's like, oh this band danger da 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 da, and I go okay well what do I do, and he's like oh, he he must have sent me an MP3 or something of Power Chord Blues, that was his pick, and I was I I remember hearing it going, oh yeah no this is right because I was at an age <laughs> where like. It was, you know, the music's still important, but now yeah. it's almost becoming a photocopy of a photocopy. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I thought your... And, like, again, I'm not a big lyrics guy, but I thought your lyrics in that, like, connected so hard with... On top of that, the music isn't straightforward. Like, you know, there are... It, it's aggressive, yeah, but, like, then on The Messy Isn't in the album, there's circus music. You know, mm-hmm. like, so the, the whole concept of, like, where you're drawing inspiration from musically blows my mind. 
So yeah, yeah <laughs> that's a long way. That's my that's my fanboy part that I'll keep in the episode. But like yeah. you know, where where when you started dangers, was there a was it a was it a deliberate thing? Like was it a deliberate like I want to make music that sounds like this, or I want to make music that that falls under this umbrella, but is like it is like distinctively different, or kind of was it a natural evolution, or how did it kind of come about? I would say for our band from day one, the only real influence that we've ever had, um, the only influence that we've ever had as a, as a collective band has, no, I, I won't say that. The main influence that, that I had when we started the band was not sonic or aural or musical. It was simply... I believe very much in Discord records. Yep. I believe doing the sound, the music, the idea that you truly believe in. That's it. Yeah. And that means that there's no rule on what it should sound like. Now, that being said, collectively, I think if we all got together collectively and said, like, through the years, what were inspired by i know that we would all kind of group around especially the members in the band now we would all group around um propagandy wow okay um we would all group around um dead kennedys a lot yep um and i think we each have our own sort of like bigger influence and like yours i'm nirvana justin is more uh metallica um Anthony, uh, Anthony really likes Dead Kennedys when he was growing up. It was a big thing for him. Uh, Jack, who's in the band now, really is a Tom Waits fan. Yep. Chris, our bass player, has Radiohead lyrics tattooed on him. So, you know, the individual, the music influences kind of like leak out all over the place. You know, I'm bringing Feist to the table and they're like, what the fuck is this? Um, but I will say that it is still the, the guiding light, which is, and this comes from Justin's other band, uh, Ghostland, but there's a line in one of their songs that says, you know, write what you want to read, play what you want to hear. And what we try to do as a band is to think about what is the song that I'm not hearing yeah. right now? And if I'm not hearing it, it means I have a need. Yeah why it takes us so long and me especially to write new, new records. And we've been trying to write a last record for a long time now. And it's still creaking along. Yeah. It's because as soon as I get into it and start feeling it and I go, I have heard this before. That means it's not allowed. Right. You're that critical. At the, at the same. Yeah. And they hate it. All the band hates it because they, they really will go like, dude. And if you listen to our catalog, it's like, dude, a lot of this sounds like other stuff, but in my head, it doesn't. In my head, it's like, well, this is a new sound. But I do think, you know, the last record we did really speaks towards what we're trying to do. We have a lot of, there's a lot of bands who get, you know, we're 15 years into being a band. And I don't think bands should be around that long, to be yeah. honest. But <laughs> fuck it. We still are a band. Yep. I don't know. But you're working I on a different that, time. Like, you're you're working on a different, you know, you're, yeah. you're, not a, you're not a heavily touring band. And you're not a, you know, release no. every 18 months band, whether it be a 7-inch no. or whatever. Like, so... The clock kind of is a bit more lenient for you. Yes, uh, exactly. And I think that 
what we really, when we sit there and think about it, there's a lot of bands who are reactive where they'll go, all right, we've done this sound. Now let's do this sound. And we always talk about it. Anthony and I talk a lot about this where, okay, we played loud. Now let's play soft. And, and that's provocative, but I don't know that it's the most critical response to like what punk can be, you know, and shape of punk to come is a big record in everybody's life, right? Yeah. Like, whoever you're at, even if you don't like it, because it, it's making a statement saying, like, watch this. Yeah. What it really does, when you analyze that record, it takes their sound of Fan the Flames, and it moves it without disregarding, without yeah. breaking. And when we wrote Bend in the Break, the idea was, we want to bend it right to the place where it feels like this isn't the same band anymore, but you still know it is. Yeah. And what do you do now in response to that afterwards, which is what we're really kind of working on right now, which is trying to think, okay, critically. And, and I don't know that other bands do or don't do this. I just know that, like, you know, I've gone to art school a bunch and I've had all these, like, critiques in my mind that are always there. I'm trying to write a book. I'm writing a dissertation. So, like, art theory is always in my brain or not even art theory. How to make art is always in my brain. What process do we go through in order to get new, better, interesting art? And for me... It really is like, okay, let's ask ourselves some questions. Like, how do we make a song that needs to exist? In, in, in the age of streaming and, and Spotify, so much music exists now that doesn't need to exist, especially because yeah. you can just do it on your computer now. So we want to make things that really, like, earn their spot. And when you have bands that you like, you know, you idolize like Refuse to come back and make records, you're like, you don't need to make that record. That doesn't need to exist. There's no reason for that record yeah. to exist. They're bad. Uh, I, we sit there and we don't want to ever do that. I want to put on a records, and I will say this unabashedly, unashamedly, I will listen to our records once every couple months, and I don't hate them. Yeah. I don't. I, I'm very critical there's some songs I think are garbage, but I don't hate our records. And, and I like the last record more than any of the other ones. And a lot of people, you know, like, you know, they just want to hear stuff off anger. Like, okay, fine. But like, yeah, we want to keep making things that sound new. So, um, yeah, I think that's in the spirit of discord records. I got to see the Evans play once when I was at Princeton and, uh, watching Ian McKay. It's the only time I've ever been in the same room as him watching him play. Um, with Amy and knowing this is as punk as Minor Threat was 25 years ago, whatever. That's what I want. I want to be able to play a song that's just as fucking punk in spirit as, as you know, Power Chord Blues was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Is there anything we've kind of, we've missed that you wanted to talk about? Like, um, you know, over the last, yeah. Is there anything we've missed that I kind of haven't touched on? Um, no, I mean, just before the last song, I will say that, like, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm flattered to get to talk about, like, this history of music that I, that I have had. I guess the only thing that I would say is that, for better or worse, there's a lot of people who, for whom music becomes a living. Yep. Uh, and I was envious of that for a long time. And still there's moments that I'm like, you know, I'm not a good musician. I know that. I'm not great at playing guitar. I'm not great at singing. I'm okay at writing lyrics, I think. I'm okay. But there's a reason why, you know, Bruce Springsteen is him and I'm not. Like, I, I don't... 
I lack whatever he has, right? Uh, I'm not Kanye. I don't have that in me. But I will say this. Um, the majority of people, music will never be a living. Yeah. But it is their life. And what we really hope, I hope, and I know the other people in the band hope this too, is that our band can at least be a small vehicle that encourages other people to think reflexively about music, to know that it doesn't, it's not a world into itself. Um, music is a response. All art is a response to life. And life is also a response to music. It can be in a lot of times, right? So like going through this and talking about some of the songs that have changed me, you know, my life changes because I hear this song, you know, that's a reflexive relationship. Yeah. Ian McKay writes a song that changes my life, probably changes his life too. I need to, p to pass that on to a certain extent. And I need to try to, to, to make, to make music in a way that it is life, you know, not a living. It will never be a living for me. I've, I've accepted that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've ruined too many vocal cords for me to hit the notes anymore. Yeah. But, um, I do hope that our band, I mean, I know that these things get recorded and like, I've done a few different interviews, but I guess I've never really stated just that our band will have failed if all it was was music. Because I, I don't, I've got bands like that in my head that like you have too, you know, like Criss Cross was just music. Yeah. That's what it was. It didn't change my life. It, it just occupied my life. Yeah. And I know our band is not going to do that for everybody, but for those few people who like, you know, you like you were talking to me earlier, who like, you know, our band has mattered, has given you like an outlet, given you a place to go. Hopefully, you know, we want people to think, you know, we, we each are very, very, um, we're very aggressive and intent people. You know, I have, I haven't eaten meat in 14 years. That comes from the music that comes from being exposed to those ideas. I, mm think really critically about how I, I spend my time, what career I want to have. I went into teaching very consciously because I like, okay, I want to have a, uh, an impact on people, an impact on the world. So I think we get frustrated when a lot of people come to the music in general or to our band specifically and go like, oh, I just really like that band. I want to rock out. You have a fuck. You can go rock out wherever you want. What we hope is that you can take from our band and it encourages you to think critically about the other parts of your life. Um, who you love, um, what you do with your time, where you want to live, what car you, all of these things. You, I mean, I know you, for one, take a lot of time to find music that fits. Mm. You know, if you found our band, yeah. you're fucking digging. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, you're digging pretty <laughs> yeah. deep. And if you, you know, you're a father now, and I, and I really mean this, it's like, hopefully you dig as deep in your fatherhood and say like, okay, how do I want to raise this kid or your profession? How do I want to do this job? Do I want to do this job? The, the same kind of like the way that you'll find music and make it fit you. Fuck man, do that with everything in your life. Otherwise our band was just music. Yep. And I don't give a fuck about that. Like honestly. So, uh, yeah, I mean, all of that kind of leads me to uh, the, when I looked at this and thought like, I've gone through some, some hard stuff in my life that other people go through too. Heartbreak. You know, I thought I was getting married earlier in life and 
uh, I've just recently gone through another huge heartbreak when I thought that was also going to possibly happen, you know, and this music puts you in a place when you dedicate your life to sort of making art or making music or teaching, which I have, those are the only things that feel appropriate coaching soccer. I mean, if you think about this, I, when I coach soccer, I have to be free 3 PM to 5 PM every day for four months. That's what, and there's no job that goes, go, go ahead. Yeah. See you later. Right. Um, it, it really cripples a lot of your normal life. You know, I, there's, I don't, have the same patterns as other people. I don't necessarily have the job and the house and all the trappings of capitalism. And usually I'm okay with that. Sometimes it really gets me down. But I will say that uh, I have come repeatedly back to uh, one song over and over again. And it's not even particularly a song that a lot of people would think. And it's a band that I like, but isn't, I don't know. They're not my favorite band of all time, but uh, the song uh, is called How It Feels to Be Something On. Um, and there's a lyric in it um, that says, All in time will be, later on we'll try, hollow peaks we've climbed, all these things I've seen, how it feels to be something on. And when Jeremy Enoch sings that part, uh, you should listen to the song when you're, you're done too. And uh, I remember hearing it the first time and thinking like, oh, he's talking about how amazing life is, right? How it feels to be something on. Yeah. And what I've recognized as I've gotten older and why, you know, the amount of times I've just in full tears been listening to the song before is because uh, he doesn't mean how great life is. You know, he means at both the peaks and the valleys is when you're, you're on, you're feeling, you're, you're experiencing, right? It doesn't mean on as a positive. It means on as someone who's, uh, whose life is actually being kind of formed in those moments, right? A lot of times we just kind of go through the motions, but those moments when you're actually on change you and, and make you into the person that you're going to be. And, uh, this song has literally saved my life. Uh, and I know there's a few people who have come up to us before and talked to me and said, like, you know, your record really helped me. And uh, thank you. Uh, and I don't have a lot to say in response to that because I don't really know the person. So I say, oh, you're really welcome. It's done that for me, too. But yeah. uh, music is singularly powerful in its ability to save lives i think and uh if any of you out there have also gone through some tough times it may not connect with you but i suggest this as a friend because it uh sticks with me through everything that i've gone through and i know that it will be there for me for the rest of my life so that's my song
All right, thank you for making it all the way to the end. Really appreciate it. And uh, let's do it all again. Let's let's run down vows in about a fortnight. How's that sound? Cool. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows Everybody knows that the boat is leaking Everybody knows the captain lied Everybody got this broken feeling Like their father or their dog just died Everybody talking 
into their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates And a long stem rose Everybody knows Everybody knows that you love me, baby Everybody knows that you really do But there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it
Hare 